the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. It is used at virtually every public official swearing-in ceremony. It's on the nightstand, or it's inside of it. Of most hotels and motels in America, every serviceman has been provided a pocket edition who wants one. It's present at our weddings, our funerals. A good percentage of Americans own a heirloom edition. But for as wide as its availability might be, it is increasingly the least used and less understood and valued book, perhaps, in 21st century America. Sadly, yes, I am talking about Scripture. What can we do to reverse this trend, and how can we better understand the value of the insights that Scripture offers to everyday living? A new book out called The Key Ideas Bible Handbook, Understanding and Applying All the Main Concepts Book by Book, written by a gentleman who is no stranger to the KFAX audience. You knew him for many years as uh, uh, frequent appearances on the Bible Answer Man program. In fact, he served as associate editor for the Christian Research Journal and the Christian Research Newsletter. He has authored more than 70 best-selling books, serves as president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministries, and he is with us tonight. Ron Rhodes, great to have you on the show. Well, thank you so much. It's always good to be with you. You know, Ron, always an irony when we talk about uh, Scripture, because as much as it seems to be, as I suggested in my opening remarks, revered within America, uh, sadly, not only is there a growing proportion of Americans who no longer use Scripture for day-to-day living, uh, there's a good percentage of Christians who kind of look at this book as, well, maybe a combination of some good stories, a lot of historical stuff, uh, but really perhaps have a lessening value or importance placed on its educational and applicable value to daily, daily living. Well, I think you're right about that. I think that today, the thing that people are tending to do is to base their spirituality more on experience than on Scripture. Uh, It used to be that Christianity was considered a facts-based religion. In other words, it's based on the facts of the Bible. But it seems like the Bible has been issued out the back door, and experience, and even mysticism, has been brought in the front door. And so you're right, there are many Christians who just don't spend much time in Scripture. And In fact, one of the polls that I came across uh, indicated not only that very few Christians are reading the Bible, but the few Christians that are basically do it during the sermon on Sunday morning. And you know, some of those sermons are getting shorter and shorter these days, could be 15 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes. 
And I have to tell you, that's not enough time in the Word of God to understand what it really teaches. Well, moreover, Ron, I think a lot of those sermons are not only getting shorter, but they're also getting shorter on content coming from Scripture and lacking in a tremendous degree of context as well. And I guess to that degree, and maybe to the point of your book, The Key Ideas Bible Handbook, is this notion that um, there needs to be an understanding, an approach, so to speak, when it comes to reading Scripture and applying Scripture, and not everybody quite understands that. Well, I think you're right. You know, it's not just a matter of coming to an intellectual understanding of what the Bible teaches, but it's also supposed to touch the heart. It's supposed to be transformational. It's supposed to be life-changing. I must tell you, I grew up in a liberal church, and in that liberal church, there was not a whole lot of respect for the Bible as the Word of God. In fact, it was considered more to be the the Word of man. And so we really didn't consider it to be something that was life-changing. But you see, then I had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and that changed everything. And one of the things I discovered is that the more I spent in God's Word, the deeper I went into God's Word, the more my love for Christ grew. There's a direct parallel there. And it seems like today that even though the Bible is everywhere present, all over the world, it's also invisible. Everybody has a copy, but no one reads it. And one of the things I wanted to do with my new book was to show people how transformational this book really is, how applicational and life-changing it really is. And so I'm basically going against the grain of society, and what I'm talking about is the fact that many say that the Bible is no longer relevant for uh, living today. I challenge that. I think it is absolutely relevant to living today. And I take you from Genesis to the book of Revelation, and I'll show you all of the the, the really cool, life-changing concepts that are there. And so I'm excited about the book. And I have to be—I have to be thoroughly candid with you, Ron. When I when I first got my hands on the book, I, I saw the title and I started counting, and I thought, "Well, son of a gun! Uh, all 39 of the Old Testament are there. Oh, all 66 are there. <laughs> He's not getting." And, and I and I, while I offer that partially tongue in cheek, there's also I think this this notion that some believe that well, only portions of Scripture really apply to us today. Uh, some certainly suggest that, and might go as far as to say, "Well, why do we?" We need the entirety of Scripture. Why not a, a Bible for today's living abridged edition? Well, that's a good question. And what I try to do in the book is to show people that it's not just the New Testament books. It's not just Old Testament books like Psalms and Proverbs, but rather it's every book in the Bible. This is what we call the whole counsel of God. And God himself told us that we need to understand the whole counsel of God. You know, I think it's helpful to do self-examinations of our spiritual lives. And when you do that... Uh, sometimes the results of that self-examination may not be too encouraging. There's a lot of people I've spoken with who feel like maybe they're just not doing well spiritually. Some have said that they've got sort of a spiritual wasteland inside their heart. You know, to me, the Bible is the answer for that, because one of the things we learn from the Scripture is that it has a reviving effect on the soul. So if you're a person who's in need of personal revival, this is the place to begin. And you can go from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and you can find applicational concepts in every book. And yes, I'm including books like Leviticus and Numbers and some of those books that nobody hardly ever reads. And so, again, the entire Bible is relevant, 
But for some reason, people have just bought the lie, and I think that lie came from the devil, by the way. They've bought the lie that the Bible has no relevance for today. Well, and perhaps part of this, too, is the fact that we're, we're sort of revealing this notion that we don't really know the true character of God. Because if we did, we would understand that there's, there's not much that happens that is accidental, that God, in fact, is very intentional. And when you think about all of the challenges down through the millennia that uh, canon scripture faced in getting to us today in the complete form that it's in, then I've got to believe that God was being very intentional in not only creating the account, but making the account available to us all these years later from Genesis and the very opening passage to the final period in Revelation, and that the fact that the whole council, the totality of Scripture, is there at our disposal, and it's got to be for a reason. Well, you know, I'm so glad that you just said that. I mean, we're just really resonating. Uh, In fact, I've spoken entire sermons on this topic. The reality is it goes back even further. It's not just that God gave us revelation in the Bible, but God even created human language. When God made man, he gave man and woman human language, not only so that we could communicate with each other, but so that we could communicate with God and God could communicate with us. And aren't you glad that God is not the kind of God who creates us and then leaves us on our own, letting us wander around in the darkness trying to find out some truth? God is not that kind of God. God is the one who is the aggressor in making himself known. He not only created us, but he tells us everything that we need to know to make our lives run optimally. And when I say optimally, I'm not just talking about physical. I'm talking about our spiritual lives. I think that one of the things that we're missing today is that we're not just physical and emotional beings. We're physical, emotional, and spiritual, and each one affects the other. And so a lot of people today are walking around without that spiritual component based on Scripture. And those who do have a spiritual component sometimes have a false spirituality, whether it's a false religion or a cult or some strange version or aberration even of Christianity. Well, now, wait a minute, Ron. Now, you're, you're not suggesting then that if somebody, for example, takes Anthony Robbins' word or Deepak Chopra's <laughs> word over God's, that there's something wrong with that. <laughs> well, you know, um, I've actually sat under the teachings of some of those guys. I've, I've, you know, I'm one of the researchers who actually goes to spend time with the people that I write about. So if I'm going to write about Deepak Chopra, for example, I'll go listen to his lectures in person. If I'm going to go write about psychics, and I've done that uh, in, in my work of apologetics, I actually go to the New Age conventions and I watch them do their stuff. So that way I really know what I'm talking about here. But here's the thing. One of the things that we learned from the Bereans in Acts 17 is that we ought to test everything against Scripture. No matter who says what, even no matter what Ron Rhodes says, you test it against Scripture. And as the Apostle Paul put it in 1 Thessalonians 5, we ought to test all things and we hold on to the good, but we reject the bad. So I'll listen to what anybody says. I'll even listen to what Deepak Chopra says. But I'm going to test his words against Scripture. And anything that violates Scripture, uh, I'm going to turn away from. And that's not going to be a part of my spirituality. I think the passage is uh, try or test the spirits and see if they be of God. With us today... 
one of America's most outstanding Christian apologists, certainly of our times. Ron Rhodes is with us. We're talking about his new book, The Key Ideas Bible Handbook, Understanding and Applying All the Main Concepts, Book by Book, newly published by Harvest House. And, of course, you'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it online through Ron's website at ronrhodes.org. That's ronrhodes.org. A brief time out. Back to more of our conversation with best-selling author and Christian apologist Ron Rhodes right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the program. Back to more of our conversation with Christian apologist and best-selling author Ron Rhodes. And we made mention earlier on the fact that for a lot of people, sadly, the Bible has been used to record marriages and deaths, press flowers, maybe even hide a 20 spot for emergencies. But as Ron is suggesting, it's not by accident that God has made Scripture not only available to us, but as complete as it is, so that there's more than just historical value to it. There's also educational and applicational value to it. And toward that end, Ron, let's dive a little bit deeper, because as tongue-in-cheek I mentioned earlier, sure enough, you didn't leave any of the books out. You've managed to extract and extrapolate from every single book of the Bible, valuable lessons that are being taught that, in fact, do have a modern-day application to every single believer. I'm curious, even for your field of, of knowledge and expertise of Christian apologetics and the Scripture, were there some things in this process of doing the research and preparing for the new book that even came as a bit of a aha moment for you? Well, I have to say yes. In fact, uh, when I was going through the book of Revelation, that's not normally a book that you think of as having a lot of uh, applicational and transformational truths in. But I discovered that there's a whole lot of application there. Uh, for example, when you look at chapters 2 and 3, which are the letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, there is just so much application there. For example, among the principles that I talk about are, just as God is gloriously enthroned in heaven, so he must be enthroned upon our hearts. Boy, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one is this. Take steps to avoid spiritual lethargy and spiritual blindness. You know, that's dealing with the church at Laodicea. And, you know, the whole point that I'm trying to make is is that as you go through each book, whether it's the book of Revelation or some other book, there are some nuggets that you're going to find there that will absolutely change your life. And I must tell you that this all grew out of my own personal quiet times with the Lord. You know, when I spent time in Scripture, what I would often do is just write little principles down in the margin of my Bible. And that was such a blessing to me. And so I, I just started to thinking, you know what, this is such a blessing to me. I wonder if this might also bless some other Christians out there. And, and I started to wonder whether this is something that might excite other Christians about the Word of God. And so that was my motivation in writing this book. Is there also some effort in this process, Ron? And I, I ask this question in all seriousness, particularly coming from uh, a region like the San Francisco Bay Area, where we have the lowest per capita church attendance in the nation. And oftentimes when we talk about either the, the grander topic or larger topic of Christianity, or more specific to Scripture, um, both are often either seen as as irrelevant or extreme? Well, that's true, and I think that's a growing trend. The, the, the latest polls indicate that that's a growing viewpoint uh, among uh, people in America and around the world. But what I think we have to do is to sort of get, a, get rid of this smoke screen that's out there with people kind of blindly walking around and to give people something that they can use that works in real life. And that's what I'm trying to help people to understand, that the Bible is life-changing in our century. Here we are in 2017, and in 2017, this book 
can actually change your life for the better. This book can set you on fire spiritually. And uh, if there's one thing that I want people to get away from, it's the idea that Christianity is just head knowledge. You know, believing in certain ideas that might be interesting, but aren't life-changing. You see, the Bible doesn't just touch the head, it also touches the heart. And uh, from Genesis to Revelation, there are truths that can just really light up your life in a big way. And the more that people understand that, I think the more that uh, people will stop claiming that the Bible is irrelevant for today. Here's another question for you that I'm curious about. And, and uh, folks in the audience that are either engineers or mechanics or work in the technical field will understand this, that, that typically for devices, it might be, well, in the radio industry, a, a broadcast transmitter, or in the automotive interest, industry, uh, your car, your truck, there are typically two manuals available. There is the technical manual that is written and intended for the guy that's going to get up underneath the hood and do repair work to your vehicle or the broadcast engineer that's going to keep the transmitter on the air. And then there's the operations manual. This is intended for the guy or gal that's going to sit behind the wheel every day and drive this vehicle down the road and needs to know how to apply things like how often do we change the oil, check the tire pressure, uh, where's the switch for the headlights, the emergency flashers things of this sort. In, in some respects, and forgive me if that's not the most accurate analogy, Ron, but in some respects, do you see the key ideas Bible handbook is sort of your, your effort at providing sort of the owner, owner's manual to Scripture so that believers can get that aha moment and see and understand and apply for themselves the nuggets of truth and the value that is hidden inside of, and sometimes not all that hidden, it's, it's more obvious if folks just take the time to read it, but they're inside of all 66 books of the Bible so that we can extrapolate and then apply to our lives for daily application every aspect of these truths. Well, you know, I think that's a helpful analogy, and I think there's a certain amount of truth to that. Uh, I think it's not only kind of like an uh, operation manual that shows you how to operate your life, but it's also got some little nuggets in there for those who want to go deeper. I have all kinds of little outline boxes and quotes from people throughout church history that take people deeper. And, you know, uh, talking about an operator's manual, you know, I've purchased an awful lot of products in the past, and I'm kind of intuitive. Sometimes I put things together without looking at the instructions. And more than once, I have busted the thing just right there before I finished putting it together. <laughs> or, or, like on, or, or like on Christmas morning where you got the bicycle put together, but you're not quite sure what the 10 extra screws and nuts are for. Oh, uh, yeah, what are these screws for? <laughs> they must uh, be spares. You know, That's always my time. excuse. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the point that I'm making there is that in the same way, uh, if you don't operate your life according to the owner's manual, which is the Bible, well, you know what? You can bust your life up pretty quick. God is the one who created us. He knows exactly what makes our lives operate at, at optimum levels, and he's revealed that in the Word of God. And if we choose to ignore the, the Word of God, then we're the ones that pay for it. So it's really in your own best interest to take this seriously. Well, and you know, contrary to the misconception that I think some have that either come from a, a disenfranchised sort of jaded approach or others who have never been properly and fully instructed, the Bible is not intended to make our lives confusing, complicated, and more difficult. Um, it's it's not intended to be a, a headbuster, uh, but rather intended to make life easier and smoother and to allow us to, in every aspect of the of the phrase, get to know our Maker 
and our Savior in a deeper, richer, more personable way. And I think, to a great degree, the Key Ideas Bible Handbook goes a long way toward helping the reader understand more of that, and not just understand more of Scripture, but then be able to say, okay, not only do I understand this, but now I know where and how it applies specifically to my life. And in that regard, I guess this is not only a great book for young believers, but anybody who's really looking to go a little bit deeper. Well, exactly. Uh, it's not just for young believers, but for believers who have maybe been studying the Bible for such a long time that they've become top-heavy. And by top-heavy, I mean that their brains are full of knowledge, but maybe they're not doing so good spiritually. Well, this is the kind of book that can change that. And by the way, uh, I have to watch out for that, too, and I'm sure that you do as well. There's a lot of us that do so much studying of Scripture, and we get our minds so filled with the facts of the Bible that sometimes people have a tendency not to pay as much attention to their devotional lives. Now, this book is devotional and inspirational from beginning to end. Yes, there's a lot of theology in it, but that theology is inspirational and life-changing. Well, the other thing, too, Ron, I think, is that sometimes, uh, and, and with no malice of forethought, I think sometimes we have been, and speaking for myself here, dismissive of certain aspects of Scripture. Not to say that we don't uh, value it or recognize it as the inspired Word of God, but rather look at certain passages and say, well, you know, all this genealogy stuff, I mean, you know, m- maybe that helps if you're going to write a book or something, but uh, do I really need to know that? Does it really apply to me, a Levitical law. I mean, my goodness, how deep can we quickly get lost in the book of Leviticus? And yet, as we said earlier, this is not just a historical document. This is educational and applicational. And so to the degree to which it can help to sort of um, rekindle that flame of passion for reading and applying God's word, I think it's a, it's a great tool across the board, both for new believers as well as for the old folks like me. <laughs> well, I certainly appreciate you saying that. And my prayer is that this would be a life-changing tool for everyone who's listening today. And uh, whether you're going through a genealogy or the book of Revelation or an epistle like the book of Galatians, all of it will touch your heart if you just take the chance and try it. And so the challenge is, are are you going to be brave enough to try it? Are you going to get out there and, and take a look at the book and go through the scriptures and let it change your life? You'll be better if you do. Well, and certainly the book makes the process a lot easier. So, uh, you know, with all the books that we review on this program and the number of guests that we come on, uh, a lot of them, and Jarrell can can attest to this, wind up over here in the bookcase uh, or given away. This one's going home with me. It's the Key Ideas Bible Handbook, Understanding and Applying All the Main Concepts, book by book. It is newly published by Harvest House, and its author has been our guest on this segment of Lifeline, Ron Rhodes. And Ron, is always great to have you on the show. Always an education. Keep up the good work, my friend, and we'll look forward to get you on again real soon. Ron Rhodes, by the way, you can order the book directly online through his website, ronrhodes.org. That's ronrhodes with an H dot O-R-G. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If I described someone to you as an individual who has had a life of failures... Some that just were handed to her, others that kind of came on their own, that led to failed relationships, failed marriages, failed businesses, failed spiritual life, even failed reputation. Would that sound like that's somebody that you necessarily want to hear from? Well, from the standpoint of learning how to not make mistakes, probably absolutely. And also from the notion that we serve a God who is not only a forgiving God, but a faithful God. A new book out by my guest tonight, someone whose name I think you will readily recognize. The book is called Full Circle, Coming Home to the Faithfulness of God. Its author, 
Athena Dean Holtz. And Athena, great to have you on the show. Thanks, Craig. Great to be with you today. Wow. You know, uh, there are listeners that may be familiar with your work, uh, certainly many years as the one of the co-founders and owner of Winepress Publishing. Um, you have been involved in a lot in the, the Christian world. And some people might say at this juncture in life, Athena G., you have been through the ringer <laughs> and then some. And yeah. some might say, uh, you know, Athena, with all that you have been through and the publicity that you've already received, not all of it necessarily, uh, all of that welcoming down through the years, uh, why seek more or, or why go public with your side of the story? Well, I think because God has worked so much redemption out of so much destruction that, you know, I feel like there's a lot of people out there who've gone through absolute devastation like I did, maybe not to the extreme that I did, but and have kind of been disappointed in God or felt like maybe God abandoned them or betrayed them. So, gosh, if my story of hope can encourage someone to not give up on God, to, to actually see his, and, and actually cause them to look back and see the times God was faithful, even when it seemed like, you know, chaos. That's, we need to know that our God is faithful. How would you describe this journey? It is certainly, it's marked by many highlights, and what I would characterize is your quest to find and meet God. Along the way, you got involved with a couple of cults. Well, maybe three, I guess we could include in there, if we uh, add to the list the number of years that you were involved in the quote-unquote Church of Scientology. I'm putting my air quotes up here, the listeners can't mm-hmm. see. Um, so a lot, of your, a lot of your life on that spiritual journey, so to speak. Some of it encouraged early on by your own grandmother, whom I understand was a a unity pastor. Exactly. So I had no foundation at all uh, of a Christian nature. It was all very new age. And, you know, I I could feel God wooing me as a young girl, but with no one to point me in the right direction, uh, the counterfeits were uh, everywhere. And I was... uh, easily drawn into them looking for purpose I'm, I'm the kind of person I, I want to see justice I want, uh, I want to be involved in a cause that's going to make a difference and so of course the enemy is going to use that to try and lead me off to to something that is, is a false cause Is there a way in which there's almost a degree to which um, a person of your talents, your character is almost, uh, the cults are almost drawn to? And I ask that question, Athena, because you're, you're driven, you're articulate, you're hardworking, you have a career, you've been a successful business leader, a business person. And I wonder if that profile, so to speak, is something that, as we talk often about people being drawn to the cults, but are the cults drawn to that kind of profile as well? Well, you know, if you think about it, Scientology, they target celebrities and opinion leaders because they know if they can get them, they'll get all the people that follow them who will not even question whether it's a good thing or not. They'll go, wow, that person is doing it. It must be good. So 
Absolutely. That's a great question. How did you first get drawn into, in this spiritual journey of yours, we mentioned about your exposure to the Unity Church as a young girl visiting your grandmother down in Santa Monica, I think it was, but but eventually you got involved in Scientology, and, and I would suggest not at a very casual level in that you mentioned about celebrities. You worked for quite a while at the Celebrity Center in Los Angeles, and uh, you eventually married a man who was part of the Sea Org. Exactly. And again, it seemed like a cause. It was, there was a lot of important people. That, was, that was made a, a big deal to me, to be around people of influence. And that started at a young age. So uh, I just played right into that. And boy, working at the Celebrity Center, what, I mean, I was working for Helen Reddy and other celebrities before I ever got sucked into Scientology. So it was kind of an interesting... Uh, shift that, you know, I, I was vulnerable because I, I didn't know any better. Was it for you always a quest or were there times of, of satisfaction? And I ask that question because to, to listeners who are maybe not familiar with some of the, the um, science fiction principles, and I use that term intentionally, the science fiction principles of Scientology, you're, you're kind of working your way through um, past experiences to going to the point of becoming clear, and anybody can Google this and you'll find find out what we're talking about, but it seems as if there's always the next level to get through. There's always one more thing that you're working on in an effort to try to to achieve that sense of, of satisfaction in Christianity. We might call it peace and joy. Was there ever a time within that experience for you, Athena, that you felt like, wow, I've really made it? Or was it constantly a, a effort to try and achieve the next thing in an effort to try and, and achieve a sense of satisfaction or fulfillment? Exactly. It was always, it was never enough. It was never, uh, you never quite got there. And I think they set it up that way so they could just milk people for more money. I mean, really, that's the truth of it. So, yes, there was never any uh, coming to a place of going, wow, this is what I, this is what I was looking for. And I found it because it really didn't exist anyway. It was just L. Ron Hubbard's, you know, thing he made up in his head to dupe people into, you know, making them rich. You left Scientology, came back, left it again. In fact, I think it was about uh, three cycles, wasn't there, all told? Uh-huh, yep. And, uh, and the final one was when we actually uh, found a book that was in the house we moved into that was written by Aleister Crowley, bad dude, the guy who brought Satanism from Britain into the United States. I had no idea who he was. But I just, ha- I mean, this had to be God. I just opened this book and went, what is this? And there was a whole page of content that I recognized from one of Hubbard's books where he claimed that that was his content, which meant, oh, L. Ron Hubbard plagiarized this guy. And I didn't even realize how bad that really was. I just realized, wow, we've been duped. And at the point of that revelation, I mean, you, you've spent a number of years now within Scientology at some pretty high levels. During that time, did you, just as in a sidebar here, did you ever have an encounter with, did you ever have an opportunity to meet either Hubbard or Miss Cabbage? No. Uh, Hubbard was out in the desert, uh, so I never met him. And Miss Cabbage was kind of new. He, he wasn't, all, he wasn't uh, in leadership at that time. This was the uh, late 70s. 
and uh, he wasn't really around at that point. But he was toward the end, towards the time we were getting ready to realize, uh, you know, what we'd gotten sucked into. He was coming on the scene, and, and it was obvious that there was some leadership some toxic leadership going on. Late 1970s, that was a turbulent time in um, Scientology vis-a-vis the infiltration of the FBI and IRS. And I think uh, Hubbard's wife even went to jail for a time over all of that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and there wasn't the... Inter- I mean, they had people so intimidated into not speaking out against them. But now with the Internet, I mean, it, you know, it's a whole different story now. They can't... They, they can't continue to control people like they used to back then. Yeah, the irony is that there was a gentleman um, many, many years ago, um, I want to say his last name was Armstrong. He, he had been hired by Scientology to be the official biographer of L. Ron Hubbard, and of course that began his, his research into uh, the life of Hubbard, discovered just how many inaccuracies and, and holes there were, eventually left the church, and I recall, my goodness, this is more than 20, 25 years ago, um, uh, their involvement in intimidating him to not do radio interviews because they didn't want all of this information going public. But I guess today that's that is the feather pillow torn open in the middle of the fan in the living room. <laughs> You're never going to yep. stuff all of those feathers back in again, uh, thanks to the internet. Exactly. And what's interesting is that all cults they all do the same thing. They all try and bully those who are willing to speak out and speak the truth. They all do the same thing. They threaten legal. They create fake websites, news websites to smear the person's reputation. I mean, that's what the other cult did to me in the Christian world. So it's amazing to see the similarities and the parallels. Yeah, it's interesting if you go online and you Google for any of the Scientology videos, there's a couple of really crazy ones with, well, there's a lot of crazy ones, but but with Tom Cruise in specific. And now Scientology is taken to purchasing ads that run ahead of the YouTube content. It's, it's amazing. If you've just joined us, Athena Dean Holtz is with us today. She is coming full circle. That, by the way, is the title of her new book, Full Circle, Coming Home to the Faithfulness of God. We'll talk more about her life's journey and what brought her full circle as our conversation continues right after a quick look at traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation. Our guest tonight, Athena Dean Holtz, co-founder of Wine Press Publishing and now leading Redemption Press, very aptly named. She's got a new book out called Full Circle, Coming Home to the Faithfulness of God. Athena, we were mentioning before the break how that it was about three circles, or three cycles rather, that you were involved with the Church of Scientology and, and eventually were able to pull away from there. And I don't want to make this entire conversation tonight about Scientology, but I'm just curious given how challenging it can be for that to happen, and I think a lot of folks don't understand uh, uh, Scientology um, uh, thoughts about SPs or suppressive persons and uh, in, in many senses losing friends and even family when leaving Scientology. How difficult ultimately then was it for you to extract yourself from Scientology? Well, it was uh, difficult because we had not only a lot of family involved, but we also had a lot of people that worked for us that, who were Scientologists. So not only did they all quit, uh, our children got kicked out of the school they went to, which was a Scientology school, uh, which we went to the newspapers on. We weren't afraid to confront that um, like we would have been prior to that. Um, but, you know, we had to just be willing to uh, walk away from all the friendships that we have had 
because, I mean, it was just, it got to the place where, okay, uh, we just can't, we can't endorse a lie anymore. Now that we know, that we know, that we know this is a lie, we're done. We discussed the fact that in your formative years as a child, uh, probably the, the, the closest you had to an association with organized religion um, was your grandmother, who was a unity pastor down in Southern California. At what point did you in your life, Athena, begin to explore the claims of Christ? Well, I did not hear the gospel until I was 33 years old. So not, I had not heard it at all, never went to VBS or Awana or anything like that. And I actually was in a, um, I was in an insurance and securities company, a very successful. I was making big money doing that. And, but God had put me in a place where I was surrounded by Christians. And at that point in my life, I thought Christians were wimps. And that, I mean, I was pretty much a God hater. I just, I don't need that. I'm successful. I'm making big money. Of course, all my relationships were a mess, but I <laughs> thought I was doing just fine. So it was amazing how God put me in that place to where, and then worked the situation so that Chuck and I were on the edge of divorce. I had, he, it's, you know, it, it, there's too much to go into it right now, what led up to that, but it was finally, okay, we're done. And he got saved, and I saw such a change in him that I, just not even realizing I was saying it, said, well, maybe, maybe we can put divorce on hold and try again. And God just began to do, I mean, my friends sent me a copy of um, Mere Christianity. I don't remember a thing that I read, but all I remember was that I, I knew I needed a Savior. As much as I think I had it all together, which was a, a total lie, uh, that was what broke my heart. And so when I, when I got saved, it was a major transformation at that point, at age 33, and Away we went into full-time ministry way too soon, working for Point Man Ministries and working with Vietnam veterans and their family members, and that really set me up, I think, for the next deception that came along, because I really didn't have a strong foundation. And the irony, and some listeners that are not familiar, Athena, with your story will get a bit of a chuckle out of this, um, in that you got involved with a church based there in Washington State. Uh, <laughs> Whose, whose title was Sound Doctrine, but whose teaching apparently was anything but. How did you, I was going to say come across the path, but I would maybe more aptly put, um, how did you fall into the snare of Tim Williams? Well, what's interesting was he was very clever about putting people that were under his influence in places of credibility. And his wife was helping with the Right to Publish conference at Wheaton College that was started by Moody Bible College. And that's where I met her. I used to speak and be on faculty at that conference every year. And she was helping the conference director. And so there was automatically a level of credibility that she never should have had, but she did. And she began to tell me, oh, my husband's got this really edgy book, and, you know, I just don't think the traditional publishers are spiritual enough to really understand uh, where he's going. So I, you know, it was just a total schmooze, really, that she flattered me into thinking, well, you know, wow, we have some, we can perceive uh, truth where others can't. I mean, that was, it, it really, their whole thing, and I think cults do that anyway, they appeal to your pride. 
And there's enough of the and there's enough of an element of truth in there to give it an air of legitimacy. And as you suggest, uh, the the, the Williams surrounded themselves at the periphery with enough legitimate people, enough of a brush with legitimacy that would make even the casual observer say, well, this must be okay. You've just made just named inside of five seconds two major respected Christian universities in this country. Certainly there can't be anything wrong with that. And of course, as we all know, people that are really close to God, they are the ones for whom God has revealed his most intimate secrets. I mean, after all, wasn't it John on the Isle of Patmos that received the revelation? Wasn't it um, um, Paul who, who, who gave us two-thirds of the New Testament? My goodness. So you must have, it must have appealed at a certain level then to, to, to the flesh. Absolutely. Absolutely. And because I had no foundation, I didn't know the difference between Scripture in context and Scripture out of context. So here Tim Williams comes along, quotes Scripture every other sentence out of his mouth. He's quoting a Scripture to back up what he just said. Well, I didn't know that half the time they were out of context and didn't even apply. So to me, that intimidated me into thinking, wow, my first 13 years as a Christian was lame. It was like not even real Christianity, because this guy knows what real Christianity is because of all these scriptures he can spout and all, you know, it was just it, it was just insidious really, a uh, way of making people feel like uh, we're not as spiritual as they are, and so they have the answer, and so we have to do whatever God tells us through them. And the notion that nobody else would publish ultimately what became his infamous book, Hating for Jesus, the fact that nobody else would publish it was seen as, well, this is a, this is a badge of honor here because we're going we're gonna to tell a truth that nobody else is bold enough, faithful enough, or trusting of God enough to tell. Once that book went public and the firestorm of controversy began swelling around not only Williams, the Sound Doctrine, quote-unquote, church, better cult, the controversial book, and ultimately you as the publisher, at what point did you begin to think, um, this is coming off the rails here, maybe there's another story to this story that we're not aware of? I completely never came to that conclusion because they had already sown into my thoughts, you know, if anybody doesn't agree with this, they don't really love God. They're on the wide road headed for destruction. We are on the narrow road. We're obeying God. They don't really want God. They're an idolater. They need to repent. We need to stand against them and cut them off so that they will come to repentance. They had already poured all of that into me, so if anyone even looked at me cross-eyed about the title or the content, I would be indignant. It was crazy. And and it's interesting to note the similarities between how all of that was handled by Williams in in preparing, inoculating, we might even call it, against Mm -hmm. criticism in, in... this situation and how very shockingly or frighteningly similar that is to the methodology used by the Church of Scientology, the whole, you know, suppressive person business and intimidating people, family members, you know, lawsuits, all of that, same thing. Well, if you don't believe, you don't embrace, then then you're clearly a heretic or you're, you're just not open enough to the truth. Exactly. And so when I finally blew the whistle and walked away 12 years after losing everything to them, um, uh, 
the, the lawsuit, the threats of lawsuits to anybody who would, ex, you know, share my side of the story. They got sued. They got threatened to be sued. Uh, every writer's conference I ever went to got a letter saying, if you have her come back, we're going to sue you. I mean, it, it, they're like, they think they're above the law, just like Scientology. If you've just tuned in, we're visiting tonight with Athena Dean Holtz. Her book is called Full Circle, Coming Home to the Faithfulness of God. Now, if you've been listening to this since we began our conversation a half hour ago, you might be thinking, what a spiritual train wreck. And though the irony is that this, uh, to one degree or another, is, uh, as Scripture tells us, uh, but for the grace of God, right, that, that those having itching ears. So we need to guard our hearts our souls, our minds, and we need to be steeped in the Word of God so that we can be truth-tellers, fact-checkers, and understand that there is a reason why God says that there needs to be a separation of the wheat and chaff. We're going to come back to more of Athena's story and bring you full circle to where she's at today, how she eventually came out of the cult called Sound Doctrine. Isn't that a kick? And what the Lord's doing in her life right now in 2017 as our conversation continues right after this.